At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital and Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. Mammograms are low-dose x-ray images of the breast, and they're used to detect lumps and other changes that are too small to be felt during a clinical breast exam. And mammograms have long been an instrumental weapon in our efforts to avoid preventable deaths, in this case, from breast cancer. Early detection of breast cancer is vitally important in increasing survival and improving quality of life. And in the decades since it was introduced, mammography has come a long way with advances like 3D imaging and the application of artificial intelligence. My guest today brings a wealth of expertise and experience in women's breast health. I'm happy to welcome Dr. Kathy Schilling, Medical Director of the Christine E. Lynn Women's Health and Wellness Institute at Boca Raton Regional Hospital, a part of Baptist Health South Florida. Welcome to the podcast, Kathy. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here, particularly in this uh, month of October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Certainly um, um, a very valuable um, um, opportunities to educate women and the general community about breast cancer and preventive strategies. So let's dive into to mammograms. We, we use the term screening tests. Um, sometimes, and this is true certainly in the cardiovascular area as well, you take a person who looks well and say, we're going to do something to you to find out if you had something. Talk about the purpose of screening and what makes for a good screening test. And then, of course, why mammography is a good screening test. So um, mammography screening, we've been screening in the United States since the late 1980s. Um, And the purpose of it is to um, take a look at the patient's breasts through um, x-ray and see whether we can find uh, small early breast cancers. We know that uh, with early detection, we're able to um, improve patient outcomes. Uh, When uh, cancers are detected on mammography, we know that greater than 95% of patients will be alive and well five years after the diagnosis is made. We also know that there'll be fewer mastectomies performed, uh, more treatment options, and less aggressive therapy. So what the purpose of mammography screening is to find a patient who's asymptomatic and find a cancer, which may not become clinically evident for for several years uh, in the future. I think that's a, a great response, and I appreciate it. And the key word is asymptomatic. A screening test is in someone who shows no signs of a problem, but it's it's possible, and you're doing the test to find out they have it. And the second point you made, which we'll dive into, is based on the results of the screening test, we can make positive impact, which is, in this case, by finding a breast cancer early, we can improve survival and quality of life. So when we're talking then about breast cancer screening and mammography, I mean, mammography has been around for decades. What What's advanced in mammography? Is it the same exact test and technology that you know was going on 30, 40 years ago? Where where have the where the innovation uh, where's the innovation occurred? No, oh, it's a totally different uh, test than uh, when I was um, back in training. Um, it's sort of like ca- if you think about cameras and how we've changed with cameras. We used to use film uh, to take pictures um, of our environment or our people, and and everything has gone digital, everything is computerized. We really have been impacted over the last 40 years by the advancements in in, uh, computers in particular. Um, We um, currently um, 
have 3D mammography. Uh, we know that the breast is a three-dimensional organ. In the past, when we were doing 2D mammography, we were looking at it only from two different sides. Now, uh, the mammogram is done in 3D. Um, the patient uh, is positioned the same in the mammography unit, um, but the tube moves in an arc over her head and obtains multiple images at different um, angles. These images are then reconstructed at one millimeter thick intervals. So we get a good look at the interior, the internal uh, aspect of the uh, breast as we are looking at it in three dimensions. And studies have shown that we are able to find more cancers when we use 3D mammography compared to 2D, and we have fewer false positive results. Uh, so, you know, certainly if uh, 3D mammography is not available to, to women, I would recommend instead of not having mammography at all, you get a 2D mammogram. Uh, 2D mammogram is better than nothing at all, for sure, um, particularly when we're talking about early detection. Uh, let, let's, let's dive into that false positive for a second. It's a term we use, and sometimes <clears throat> um, people in the community don't really understand that. Um, again, as a cardiologist, quite frequently people say, you know, do all the tests you want to do. And we have to temper it by saying a good test is reliable, accurate. There's a risk if you do a test that it might show something that's not real. And in the mammography area, um, do you find that the 3D imaging creates less false positives? Speak to that particular point. You, you mentioned it, so speak to the importance of that a little bit if you could. So, yes, yeah, so, so a false positive mammogram means that we are recalling a patient to come back for additional imaging because we think we see something. Um, and this occurs about 10% of the time when we, when we uh, image patients. Our recall rate is about 10% um, uh, nationally. Um, and this can result in increased anxiety for patients when they are recalled. Um, it can be added radiation dose uh, to the patient because we're getting more images. And it can be also an added cost to the patient. Um, in our center, we read all of our mammograms while the patient is here. So um, if she needs additional testing, she'll have it while she's at the, this one visit. Um, so I think that the, there's a little bit less anxiety. The patient knows right away what's happening. She doesn't have to reschedule. She doesn't have to make a second trip uh, to have the answers, um, um, uh, uh, find out what the answers are. Um, so, and typically uh, when we recall about 10% of our women, the vast majority of them, probably um, six out of 10, uh, will be released with no findings. So it's a false positive. We think we see something, but with the additional testing, we find that really there's nothing there. There's no cancer there. Um, and maybe perhaps two out of 100 will have to go on to biopsy. So, um, so, so the mass, vast majority of them are um, turn out to be nothing. And again, um, uh, just uh, to, to emphasize um, um, the, the wonderful points you're making, the improvement in the technology, the use of AI, you know, to help interpret the, the skill of the interpreter, the, 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 the physician who reads the mammograms, it's to pick up things that might otherwise be missed, but also not to say there's a problem here where there's no problem, which as you just um, um, elaborated on, and I'm sure many of the listeners have had those experience of that anxiety of, oh, wait a minute, why it wasn't normal, I got to come back, and the additional stress and testing and whatnot. So as we get more accurate, we'll wind up um, um, certainly providing a better service um, 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 in the mammography area. Um, so you clearly um, brought up the benefits of 3D mammography, having the interpretation at the time of the mammogram, so decisions can be made at that point. When a woman 
decides that they're going to go to a mammography center and, and clearly not everyone can come to you know, centers with 3Ds. Do you have any recommendations what they should look for to make sure that they will get a good result, which means not missing something that's there and not saying something's there that's not there? What, what recommendations would you give towards looking for what denotes a, a, a high quality mammography center? You know, you know, I think it's all about expertise and it's about focus. And I, I would recommend that women, if they can, uh, seek out a center where the commitment is 100% to breast imaging, uh, such as our center. That's all we do here. We see 65,000 women a year. We have uh, 10 dedicated breast radiologists. That's all they do. They're not doing CAT scans. They're not doing other tests um, to distract them. And we also have dedicated technologists so they're purely doing breast imaging. All they do is mammography all day long or breast ultrasound all day long. Um, and so I, I think it's about the commitment um, and it's about the breadth of um, services which are offered. We not only provide mammography um, screening and ultrasound, MRI and many other tools, um, but we're focused on um, personalizing the care for women. Um, we are moving from a period of time where um, we recommend screening just based on patient's age, um, but we're moving now towards more risk-based screening. So if we determine what patient's level of risk is, maybe some patients at low risk, we can do a little bit less and don't have to be so anxious about screening and getting them in every 12 months. And patients at higher risk, we're going to offer additional screening above and beyond that with just mammography alone. Uh, so it's, a, it's that commitment to say that, you know, you are important to me. I'm not going to just, you know, screen you once a year and not worry about your level of risk. I care about your risk and I'm going to tailor your screening to what your level of risk is. And that's the commitment that we have at this center. I think that that individualized approach does set the center apart. Um, so um, let, let's start with the basic guidelines. So what's the general guideline out there in the country for the frequency of screening for mammograms? Can you can you speak to that? And then we'll get a little deeper dive into the individualized approach, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, so the screening guidelines uh, since when we first started back in late 80s have been to start screening at age 40 and screen every single year. Uh, we still follow those guidelines today. We don't recommend that patients, we can recommend that they uh, continue screening as long as they remain in good health and would act on findings should we find something. So if they're going to say, I don't want to have a biopsy, I don't want to have surgery, then you shouldn't come in for screening. Sure. Another um, important thing which we have recommended for the last several years is that every woman have a formal risk assessment before they reach the age of 30. And what we're trying to do here is identify those patients who may be at risk for familial breast cancer, hereditary breast cancer, like the BRCA1 or BRCA2 patients mm -hmm. who tend to develop a breast cancer, maybe in their 20s or 30s. And those patients uh, using the, um, the 40 age uh, start for screening would not be um, um, qualified for screening in their 20s and 30s. So if we can identify those at risk for familial breast cancer, we're gonna start screening them earlier with MRIs and mam mammograms, um, maybe beginning at age 25. So, so think, things have changed over the years. Yeah. Um, in, the, in 2009, the United States Preventive Service Task Force came out and said, don't start screening until 50 and only go every other year to 74. This has caused a lot of confusion to people. And we know that 20% or one in five women that we diagnose with breast cancer are in their 40s. 
And so if we start screening at 50, again, we're gonna be going backwards. We're losing the opportunity to find cancers in these young women when they're most um, important to their families and to their community and their workforce. So we begin at age 40 and go every single year. I, I, lo I love the approach where you, you take the basic foundational guidelines, which is for the broad populations. And you know you could do a mammogram every three months, but obviously you know the cost and the radiation exposure offsets the findings. You can wait every five years, but you'll miss a lot of cancers. So taking those foundational guidelines, but then you individualize them. The person's not just coming in for a scan and leaving, you're doing the intake and going into the deeper family histories of the lifestyles and making that individualized approach. And I think, you know, as a listener, the, the, the take home point for me, it's, it kind of takes the burden off of me to, to know and remember when I have to do this, when I have to do this, what I have to do is what does this interpretation of this study mean for me? That's part of the whole holistic evaluation that, that you guys provide. Yes. Um, we actually um, tell patients what their level of risk is when they come in. As we are reading these, these exams real time, um, before the patient leaves, the technologist can uh, give patient a, a little brochure that we have that educates the woman as to what her level of risk is and what our recommendations are for, for future follow-up. Um, and so we really are trying to inform that patient so that she can be her own best advocate should she need additional testing she can go to her doctor or one of our doctors here and ask that um, so it's really about just making the patient aware of of their own personal risk and really? artificial intelligence now i think in the in the near future is really going to assist us because i believe that the um, risk can be determined on the mammogram um, the artificial intelligence has been able to identify patterns of, of breast cancer just by looking at the breast density, the presence of calcifications and masses, and it's really about what's going on in that women's personal breast tissue who's going to determine what her level of risk is in the, in the near future. And so it's really going to change uh, everything. Right now, the clinical models that we use to predict risks are really, it's like a toss of the coin. We, it's They're really yeah. very ineffective. So a woman over 40, you're at risk by the guidelines. And of course, we know that women under 40 get breast cancer, but it'd yeah. be much more precise to look for things that may say you may want to, we want to keep a closer eye on you or maybe even more of an emphasis on lifestyle changes. So that's, exactly. I appreciate that. Well, let, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and move into some of the um, the public health type uh, uh, realities with with mammography. What what did what did you see and what did we see uh, within the Baptist system and, and maybe even nationally regarding mammography screening through COVID and how we, what are we seeing now compared to the early stages of COVID? Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean the last March uh, mid March um, we had to cease all screening, so and that was na nationwide. So there was no screening mammography, no screening ultrasound, no screening breast MRI. And we saw a precipitous drop by about 95% of screening mammograms across the country. Um, and that lasted until um, the end of, of May. So a good period of time that we were closed. Um, we were not permitted to screen, but we were permitted to do diagnostic mammograms. So we did continue to see patients who had symptoms which may have been related to the presence of breast cancer. So if patients had a palpable mass or they had nipple discharge or pain, we would still see them. But our volume dropped from about 200 cases a day uh, at all our sites to 30 cases wow. once a week. Um, wow. We continue wow. to do biopsies. So we were Under, still understand, understandably why, but nonetheless, the numbers yeah, speak for themselves. Dramatic. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, um, the patients who came in, we continue to do biopsies. So we were continuing to diagnose patients with breast cancer. 
but the operating rooms were closed. Only emergencies were um, go going to the operating room and breast surgery was considered an elective surgery. So even though we diagnosed patients with breast cancer, they were sent home with a pill to help limit the growth of that cancer until the um, uh, operating rooms opened up. Um, so that's pretty traumatic in a period of time where, you know, not only was there COVID, but patients had newly diagnosed breast cancer and uh, were found that, you know, I can't have the standard of care. Uh, but these were the guidelines of the national societies. Everyone um, nationally um, uh, had to abide by these guidelines um, for patients with newly diagnosed breast cancer. But during that period of time, we had a lot of free time uh, to uh, draw together um, plans for how do we get patients to return to screening safely? How do we keep our technologists safe? And so we implemented many, many different uh, processes here. Um, we doubled the period of time that it, we uh, took with the patient. So she went from a 15 minute exam to a 30 minute exam so we could limit the number of people in the building at one time. We did not permit any visitors, no guests into the building. Patients were screened when they entered the uh, lobby. Uh, they were given masks to wear. Um, and we no longer used our community um, dressing room or a community um, uh, waiting area. The patients were brought directly into the mammography room where they changed. They had their examination. They redressed and went back out to their car to wait for the results. And we guarantee that those results would be available within 30 minutes. If the patient needed to be recalled, she would come back up and we would do the necessary additional testing. Um, but overall, you know, um, we um, wanted to actively recruit our patients. We knew that in that six week period of time, we fell behind by about eight, 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 seven or 8,000 women that we didn't screen. So we sent out 15,000 letters and we told the patients that um, you need to come back to continue to screen, not to put off your mammogram, that the breast cancers continue to grow despite the fact that there's a pandemic. We informed them of all the safety measures that we had undertaken. And we also told them that we have funding. Many women lost their jobs, they lost their insurance, and we let them know that we have funding um, to encourage them to, to, to come back and, and, and just look to let them know that it was safe. Um, we sent letters to our referring physicians as well. And so we actively went out and tried to recruit patients. So right now, as I said, this Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we have a, a reduced cost uh, imaging test. We are working six days a week because we're so busy. Um, but overall, the patient satisfaction has just been, it was 99%. Uh, their patients are so pleased with the care that they're, they're given. They feel very safe and our, our, our center is not in the hospital. So we have a freestanding center. So they feel safe. Um, and secure, and they're coming back to screening. So you've, you've um, clearly um, expressed to our, our listeners the importance of resuming breast cancer screening, and perhaps more importantly, you've assured uh, women of the safety of resuming the breast cancer screening um, and its important role in preventing breast cancer. Now, I know there's been some discussion in, in various medical circles recently about the correlation between COVID vaccine findings and mammography results. Can you speak a little bit about what we've learned and uh, what we're recommending right now regarding the timing of a COVID vaccine and getting a mammogram? You know, uh, when we first started getting vaccinated, we saw patients come in uh, for their mammogram. That was back in January of this year. Um, and we noticed that we could see enlarged lymph nodes. 
And uh, with time, we realized that it was on the side that the patients um, had their vaccination. Um, and so enlarged lymph nodes may reflect um, a cancer, spread of cancer to the lymph nodes in the armpit area. Um, but we found um, that um, we can see enlarged lymph nodes just related to the normal immunologic response to the vaccine. Um, initially, we did a lot additional imaging on these patients. We would do additional mammograms or additional ultrasounds. But then as we heard, um, everyone across the country was having the same findings. We tended to relax uh, and just say, you know, these, uh, these lymph nodes should uh, resolve within a period of three months. And we just let the uh, referring clinician know to monitor the patient. Um, and if the lymph nodes don't go away, then yes, you can send them back in and we'll do some additional testing. But um, we typically have in the past had recommended that patients uh, have their mammogram before they go in for their uh, vaccination um, and then wait at least six weeks until after the vaccination uh, to come in for their mammographic screening. But certainly if patients have acute symptoms, we had one patient said, you know, I had a palpable mass, but I heard that you're not supposed to come in until six weeks after your vaccine. And she had a cancer that you, so if you right. have acute symptoms, you need to come in as soon as possible. We're, we'll work through the the lymph node issue. So, so two categories of people as you just mentioned, and I think it's important as you did mention that it's an accepted and expected response to have large lymph nodes after the vaccine. That shows your body is developing an immunological response. It's yeah. a good thing, but on a mammogram, you can't necessarily tell the difference what it is. So we don't want to confuse it. But if you have a concern in a breast exam, don't wait because you've don't had the vaccine. But if you could do the vaccine first, that, that's very helpful. And that's interesting how no one would have thought of it until we started doing the vaccines and seeing the mammograms and in short order across the country, uh, new policies are put in place. And my last thing is, which again, uh, I would be remiss from, to myself if I, if I didn't bring up, talk a little bit about the breast arterial calcification uh, assessment at the, uh, at the, at the center and, and what it means and what you guys do with that. Uh, Cause it's something we're going to be expanding down here in, uh, in South Dade. Yeah, no, this is a great initiative. We started uh, about in January in 2020. We hired a preventive cardiology doctor, a cardiologist, Dr. Heather Johnson. Um, and I had been reading about this for many, many years and really didn't have a solution. So we waited until we had somebody to provide that solution to initiate this program. And what studies have found is that um, the breasts have arteries in them, just as all organs do in the body. And at times we can identify calcifications within the walls of those arteries. And studies have shown that if patients have calcifications in the walls of their arteries, that there's a high likelihood that they may have calcifications in the, in the arteries in their heart which may place them at risk to develop cardiovascular disease. So while we are very good at looking at looking for calcifications in the mammogram um, as a sign of breast cancer, uh, we are very good at finding them also in the walls of the arteries. And so it's an incidental finding, um, but it's something that's important for us to um, educate again, our patients about their possible risk to develop breast cancer. And we know that um, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of women um, and it kills 20 times more Americans than breast cancer does on an annual basis. And we also know that 80% of events are preventable, um, mostly through lifestyle modification and at times with medications. So why would we not let this patient know she can prevent cardiovascular disease becoming part of her medical history 
just by having her mammogram. And it's, it's really, um, these patients are here because they're interested in screening and early detection. So why would we not tell them about their possible risk to develop cardiovascular disease? So you, you beat me to the punch that cardiovascular disease does remain the number one killer of women. And if we're able to identify through mammography, through screening, another indication of someone's risk for another problem, we don't just ignore it. We actually say, hey, it's an opportunity to address your lifestyle and your risk for cardiovascular disease as well. So again, appreciate that as you and I are aligned in our prevention of disease and certainly from a cardiovascular standpoint. Yeah. And you know, there's 40 million mammograms being performed on an annual basis here in the United States. We really have the opportunity if all breast imagers uh, take the time and the the effort to um, let people know that they may be at risk, it, it doesn't cost any more. This doesn't take any more time. It's no more radiation to the patients. Um, and I just think that it's something that's the right thing to do. And we want patients to become just as passionate about their breast, their cardiovascular health as they are about their breast health. Wonderful. Again, great conversation, tremendous information. Love the innovation, the individualized approach, the, uh, the kind of a team-based approach, if you will, uh, for women not just getting the breast not just getting the breast cancer screening with the mammogram, but evaluating their uh, all the components of uh, what may lead to a higher risk of breast cancer. Um, great conversation again. Thanks again uh, and to our listeners. As always, if you have any comments, thoughts, or ideas for future topics for this podcast, please email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.